This show is made possible by SparkleGenieProducts.com, earth-friendly cleaning products made in the USA. Safe for kids, safe for pets, safe for you. Save 20% off your first order when you use discount code SPIRITS at SparkleGenieProducts.com. and more radio like touch my shoulder or touch my hair starts now and I said what the hell is that spirits and more radio starts now hey welcome to our eighth episode of spirits and more radio we're going to be joined by Richard Carradine today, and we're going to be talking about his ghost uh, experiences and, of course, haunted Disneyland, all those ghosts at Disneyland. Turn down the lights. If you dare, spirits and more radio. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Haunted Mansion. I am your host, your ghost host. (laughs) Kindly step all the way in, please, and make room for everyone. There's no turning back now. If that is not the most famous uh, ride intro that uh, that the world has ever known, I don't know what is. But uh, we're joined here with Richard Carradine, and he uh, he's done lots of uh, investigation into ghosts over the years since he was a teen, and uh, he ended up writing a book about Disneyland and the ghosts there. So we're going to get into that in the second half of the show. But first, I want to welcome to the show Richard Carradine. Welcome, Richard. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you eventually, eventually you end up, uh, writing a book about the ghosts at Disneyland, but, uh, it goes way back before that, doesn't it? Um, yeah, well, my interest in ghosts go way back. Uh, yeah, is, as far as I can remember, I've always been fascinated with ghosts and ghost stories. And uh, I'm the kind of guy that if I go to a restaurant or a movie theater that feels a little historic or feels old, um, before I leave, I will corner staff and ask them if there are any ghost stories, any legends, you know, anything that goes bump in the night. And and more often than not, you do get a a ghost story. Oh, interesting. So, So, yeah. So, basically, growing up, I would do this and just kind of collect all these ghost stories of all these places that we visited so, um, so when you went to these, you go to restaurants and you talk to like the staff or a manager or something, right? Uh, did you get weird looks sometimes, or were people pretty receptive to that? Well, it's yeah, you you run the gamut from, um, you know, the like, uh, how did you know? And then they'll <laughs> tell you all these stories, or they'll say, you know, no, it's not haunted. I've never seen anything, but you should go talk to the security guard over there. I think uh-huh. he's got a story and then they'll direct you to somebody who does have stories. Yeah. So, um, surprisingly, and I recommend this for anybody who's interested, surprisingly, you do get a lot of these stories, uh, uh-huh. just by asking. So, um, when you started that and, uh, Richard, if you could turn me down a little bit on your, on your volume, if possible, uh, getting a little echo there. Um, so when you were, um, you started doing this when you were, uh, younger, a teenager, you said, yeah, and um, I'm actually not sure how to turn you down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I would I would do this, and like whenever we would travel, I would look for you know every town seems to have their their little uh, self published book of local ghosts, and I would get the book and go visit all the sites and talk to all the people, and yeah, just go around and collect all these these stories, and I was and you know and and talk about them with friends, and I was kind of. Um, shocked that you know if if you went to 
you know, if you went to a restaurant and you, you asked them about their ghost stories, you would find out that everybody at the restaurant knew the stories. You know, it, it, it's a long standing tradition. All the waitresses would know if a new waitress was hired, she would be told the stories. But outside of that restaurant, nobody knew the stories. It was just this sort of um, self-contained world where they knew the stories and anybody outside the restaurant didn't know the stories. And I found this kind of fascinating that there were all these little, I don't know what to call it, like islands of hidden history of these sort of hidden folklore that uh, unless, you know, you didn't, unless you knew, you would have no way of knowing. Right. And so I started to share them with my friends that, you know, that place is said to be haunted or that, that, that theater is said to be haunted. And my friends would likewise go and ask, and then they would, we would share stories. And from that, we kind of formed a, a informal club, so to speak, of getting together and sharing these stories that would otherwise not be um, known outside of the, the, you know, the people that worked at these, these places. Right, right. Now tell me, um, what, was your, um, what was your disposition to ghosts in general? I mean, did you, were you open to the idea? I mean, there's Bigfoot, there's aliens, there's ghosts. They all kind of, all these things that people can't really put a finger on scientifically, or at least so they say. Um, what, how do you feel about all that stuff? I mean, are you open to, to all the different mysteries of the world, so to speak? Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my thought is that... Um, it's kind of funny because, um, yeah, yeah, the like, you know, here's the thing. People always ask me if I believe, and I find that is like a, an, an odd term, believe, because clearly something is happening in these places. Clearly people, and I've talked to a lot of people, and they're very earnest. They're not trying to fool you or make up a story. Um, clearly people are seeing something. And clearly, people have been seeing things for hundreds, probably thousands of years. I think the ancient Greeks wrote about ghosts. Um, so you got to say something at some level is going on. Um, it's just a matter of what is it. And, and I think we should kind of change the question of do you believe in ghosts as to sort of what is it that people are seeing. Um, and, you know, I'm open to the idea that maybe it's hallucinations or something, but you can't disregard the fact that people are experiencing something. Um, because like I said, all walks of life, people from different backgrounds and going back hundreds of years, people have been experiencing these things. So, yeah, I think there's something going on. Um, what it is, is, is the, obviously the subject for debate. Right. And, and do you find, uh, there's an interesting, uh, study I saw years ago on 60 minutes where they talked about, uh, when people are exposed to high levels of EMF, they have sort of these ghost experiences are you familiar with that yeah yeah um i think didn't uh, college do some experiment where they made a uh a a room where they bombarded people <laughs> with with electromagnetic energy and yeah they had auditory and uh, uh visual hallucinations in the room yeah i remember the yeah. re reporter was saying that uh had he not known what was going on he would have felt that he had an authentic you know, ghost experience. Um, it's interesting. There's a, we're down here in San Diego uh, and there's a taco shop and I happen to have this ring that's a magnetic ring, uh, high, uh, highly magnetic ring. And I, I experienced this strange thing. I, I was going into that taco shop and my finger started to vibrate and I, I stopped. I'm like, what is going on? And I looked at this ring and um, I figured out that the ring was interacting. I looked above and there were high voltage uh, power lines, the 430 or 80 volt power lines above. And, uh, and I always wanted to go back to that taco shop and ask if the staff was seeing ghosts in that taco shop. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously you can take it a step further and, you know, a lot of old houses have bad wiring um, you know, in places where people claim to see things or stuff, basements and stuff are all areas where you have a lot of electrical wiring and, and in general, generally speaking, some old wiring or over wiring, yeah. which could cause these, these things to happen. I mean, the flip side and, you know, uh, friends are quick to point out that you could also argue that, that perhaps the high energy or magnetic energy I don't know, create some sort of opening or some something for the other, whatever it is to get through. Right. And, and it's not a hallucination, but it's, 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 we're manufacturing a situation that makes it possible. Right. Absolutely. Um, um, but, but whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the other part of it too, is that when you start to get stories that match between people who don't know each other, I think that's where that sort of lends itself to maybe that there's something bigger that these ghost experiences, you know, why does somebody always see a man in a trench coat with a cowboy hat on and they've, you know, you know, and it's different people who don't know each other. You know, that's where I think if you're a skeptic, you have to recognize that, that why is there this common? You could also say also through the span of time, you know, over decades, people see the same thing. Right, right. And, you know, obviously somebody from the 90s didn't know that person in the 70s that saw the same thing at that location. Right. So did you, when, when you would go meet people, did you sort of take that into account? Were you looking for similarities in the stories? Um, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I wasn't looking for it. I was just more fascinated with the stories, but I did discover that. And and it, this is kind of a side topic, but I found that there there are certain ghost archetypes, if you will. Like you would hear the same stories over and over again. There's, you know, a, a woman in white, an old soldier, an elderly man, a child, um, and very similar stories. Um, you know, and like famously, you have the the vanishing hitchhiker story, which uh, if, you know, uh, the most famous one is Resurrection Mary in Chicago. But that story is told all over the country and just about every town in America has some version of that story. And I found that fascinating of why is it that not only the same stories, but it seems to be a finite number of same stories. You very rarely hear um you know, a, a ghost story that doesn't fit one of the, uh, as I said before, archetypes of a ghost story. Hmm. <laughs> so there isn't, uh, yes. And I, I see what you're saying on that. Uh, and that has to make you wonder too, do people want to fill in the blanks, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, is there, yeah. Are there just, you know, is it, is it manufacture our brain or is there something about humans that we produce these same stories for whatever reason, or is it something about the ghost world that only these kind of ghosts seem to materialize? Um, you know, you could argue either way. I, years ago I went to, I don't know if anybody's familiar with this, but the Armagosa opera house in death Valley, um, which has a crazy history. And if anybody's interested, you should go online and look it up. Um, it's a, a opera house or it's a theater space in the middle of nowhere. And there was a, a woman who basically did shows in that one woman shows in that theater for years to an empty house, basically, because it's in Death Valley. Nobody would come see these shows. Um, and eventually people heard about this crazy lady doing these shows to an empty house. And she, for one point, she painted faces on the walls so she would have an audience to oh. perform to. Um, so, so naturally like that intrigued me. I drove out and, 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 uh, and now it, it, it then it's unfortunately, um, she passed away, but it became a tourist attraction because of the oddity of it. And then people started coming to her shows, but there's a hotel attached to the theater space. And I went out there once to see the show and I was talking to the woman who runs the theater and she was talking about the ghosts of the hotel and she went through, you know, there's a, there's a man seen over here and this and that. And she said, oh, and we have a half a cat. And I said, a, a what? And she said, a half a cat. And I said, well, you're going to have to say that again. And she said, a half of a cat. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, a cat will brush against your leg. And you reach down to pet its head. And as you're petting its head, you'll realize there's no back half. It's only the front of the cat, the front two legs and no hind legs or tail. And as you realize that it's only half of a cat and you recoil, it vanishes into thin air. Wow. That's the craziest story I've ever heard. (laughs) And I thought the same thing. I thought, wow, I've never heard that of all the stories of a phantom bride, of a woman in white, of a, you know, this, that I've never heard of a half a cat. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) since then, I've discovered that there are half a cats all over, all over the world. Oh, really? Um, and there's half a dogs. There's one in Torrance, a, ha- a half dog. Um, and there are lots of tales of half cats. Again, it seems to be a weird archetype that I just hadn't stumbled upon until my visit to the Armagosa Opera House. Wow, that is the, that is 
the newest piece of information <laughs> we've gotten on here, Richard. That's awesome. So you now you found other people that have these half animal experiences, even one in Torrance. Huh? What's the story on yeah. that one? Uh, it's apparently a dog. It's the same thing. It's a dog, a friendly dog that comes up to you, you know, and and you go down to pet it and you're petting its head and you realize uh, that there's no back half and then it, it vanishes into thin air. And, you know, there, a lot of these stories have legends connected to it that like with that cat, when I asked further, they said that there used to be a train that went through Death Valley and the, the belief was that it, it was run over by the train and split in half. And that's why the ghost only appears as half of a cat. And likewise, the dog in Torrance, they told me that it, a car ran over it. And that's why um, it only appears as half of a dog. Wow, that is totally, totally crazy. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to digest that. And we'll be right back with Richard Carradine. We're going to talk about the ghosts of Disneyland later in the show, so stay with us. Spirits and more radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Richard Carradine, and uh, he just blew me away talking about half cats and half dogs that are seen as ghosts all <laughs> over the world. Um, so you, now you talked about a group of friends. You guys got together, you started swapping stories, and uh, was there any of those stories among your group of friends that were really bizarre like that, and things that people don't really hear? Is there any, any that stick out in your mind? All right. The, uh, as much as I said that there are archetypes, there there was one story that a friend told me, and this was a, a friend of theirs that lived in the East Adams District in um, in Los Angeles, which I don't know if, uh, if everyone's familiar with, but um, it's it's an area that's just uh, west of downtown, and it used to be the wealthy part of Los Angeles a hundred years ago was the Beverly Hills of Los Angeles. So a lot of these giant old mansions that are kind of dilapidated now. Um, but they, she, this woman had a friend who lived in this house and after the Northridge earthquake, um, they found, they had a fish in a fishbowl and they found the fishbowl on the ground. It fell off the table and the water spilled on the carpet, but they could never find the fish and they would search under all the furniture and they could not find the fish. Um, and she said to this day, every now and then they'll walk into that room, the living room. And they'll see this ghostly fish floating in the air. Um, and then it just kind of, it, it swims away and vanishes. So yeah. that's, yeah. that's a strange story I've never heard before. That makes but me want to, that makes me want to move into that house and set up a camera and wait for the see fish. This, this ghostly ghost fish floating around the living room. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, so you guys, you would get together on a regular basis. Is that right? Yeah, well, it kind of evolved into we, we then sort of opened it up to the public because I, I realized that, um, you know, um, there, there was a rest. There was a bar downtown called Coles, which is one of the oldest bars. Um, some would argue it's the oldest bar in Los Angeles. And I would go there as a teenager and hang out and talk to the bartender and I'd get the ghost stories. And then years later, when we started meeting up my friends and getting together, we would meet up at different bars around L.A. and talk about the ghost stories of that bar. And I remembered Coles, and I went back there. And in the years that had passed, uh, it had changed owners, and it's now a very trendy bar. Whereas it was a dive when I was in 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 high school or you know in college. And the staff is is completely different. It's now very young um, guys working by the bar. It's not the old guys that were there before, and none of them know any ghost stories because they none of them have worked longer than a couple of months there. And I couldn't remember the ghost stories, which is why I went back there. And I realized that all those stories were lost 
that the stories that these old guys would tell, because um, I didn't write them down at the time, were gone of this space that had been there for 100 years, because uh, the new staff didn't know of them. Um, so I thought, well, somebody should write online these stories and kind of preserve them. So we started this thing, we opened it up to the public where we would throw it out online and we'd write up a history of the bar, the ghost stories, and say, we're going to be meeting there um, Monday night, come by and we'll tell you, tell you more stories and come share your stories. And so we started that in 2006, where every month on the 13th of the month, we would meet at a different bar in Los Angeles, open to the public and just kind of get together talk about the history of the bar, talk about the ghost stories, uh, drink and hang out. And we called it Spirits with Spirits. And we did that monthly for about six years. And it kind of, it grew and grew. And that's generally, if people know of our group, it's generally because of that, the Spirits with Spirits that we did for years. At one point, the LA Weekly said it was one of the best things in Los Angeles and their best of LA issue um so and at one point we we did one at the aztec hotel and we had like 150 people show up to that one so it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger the more we did it and then um and then we kind of stopped i see (laughs) and what was the um when that happened when you were doing those um Oh, sorry. I was getting a little echo there. Is that? Are you wearing headphones, by the way, Richard? No, no. Sorry. <laughs> Is this coming through your speakers? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think you could probably turn your speakers down a tiny bit through your computer okay. there. Give that a uh, try. Is that better? Uh, let me see. I cannot. Yeah, that's good. Can't hear myself anymore. So. No. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, well, that was uh, simple. Yeah. So, um, so you were doing the group now. Why did you stop it? Um, it, it, it got bigger and bigger and it, it kind of started consuming more and more of my time, finding these places, researching these places. And I also wanted to do other things. I had other ideas of kind of fun things we could do with ghosts and, and LA history. And so I decided to take a break from it and, and concentrate on other things. I see. Now, one thing we, I haven't asked you this. I usually ask right at the very beginning, but have you ever seen a ghost? Um, yes, I, the, the, I have, uh, uh, seen things that I can't explain. <laughs> yes. And what was the first one? Uh, when I was a child, I was probably like six or seven. I lived in a house in Laurel Canyon, very old house, uh, dated back to the early 1920s. Um, small old house, uh, with kind of an interesting history in itself. It was said to be a, a hunting lodge at one point. Uh, it was supposedly originally built as a hunting lodge, which was basically a room with a fireplace where hunters would, would use, use as a base of operations back when Laurel Canyon was untamed wilderness. Um, but yeah, I had an experience where I went into my bathroom and I looked in the mirror and instead of seeing my face looking back at me, I saw a, I want to say middle-aged man, bald, um, with kind of a very angry expression on his face. Um, you know how when you get really angry, your face gets flushed, gets very red? Right. Um, that was what he looked like. He was staring back at me with this very angry, intense uh, look. And uh, I ran out of the bathroom. That would have been my first experience. And I should say that uh, the house was known to be haunted. Many people who visited the house had experiences in that house, but that was pretty much the only experience that I ever had growing up in that house. And, and I, um, it, that happened at midnight one night. I was, it was up very late and I went into the bathroom. And after that point, I stopped going into that bathroom late at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a honest thing to say. <laughs> you know, a lot of people as a, you know, uh, I think that's an indicator of someone not elaborating, you know, if it scares you, if it really scares you, you know, sometimes when I hear people that chase ghosts around and stuff and they have no fear, <laughs> I often wonder, you know, I don't think I could, could do that. Get used to seeing something like that in my mirror. Uh, well, you know, it's, yeah. And, and it's funny you, you say that as well. Cause, um, I find in having talked to so many people about their ghost stories that um, 
for the most part, 99% of the stories, there's no fear attached to it. Generally, people will see something and then something will happen, like it'll vanish, and then they'll question whether or not they saw it. It's more of a confusion than a fear aspect. The actual, like, going and seeing a ghost and being afraid of it is kind of a rare thing, at least from my experience of talking to people. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, of the strange things that I've experienced, I think it's the same thing. It's kind of you start to question yourself, did that really happen? And and, I, and that's the thing that I wonder about some of the people people who are a little more skeptical is, you know, are maybe they're just too quick to just let that go as something they don't understand but has an explanation somehow, you know. So. Right. And and I and I should say that as an adult looking back on that, I I often question you know, because I was six years old, did I really see that? Did I imagine it? Um, but then likewise, and as, as an adult who studies this stuff, I find that it is like we were talking about archetypes that haunted mirrors is a very common thing that so many people have similar experiences of looking into a mirror and seeing a different face look back at them. So that also <laughs> makes me wonder if I really did experience that. Yeah, I, that I've never heard a ghost story like that where someone saw someone else in their reflection. You know, in the movies and horror movies, it's another person behind you. But well, uh, you know, there's the famously at the Roosevelt Hotel, there's the mirror that people look in and they see Marilyn looking, Marilyn Monroe looking back at them. Right. Um, and there's a bar in Hollywood, uh, and I'm blanking on the name right now. It's on um, Sunset. Um, that has a mirror over the bar where people claim that they see a, a different face looking back at them when they look into that mirror. I see. Is there um, is there any stories you've heard over you? It, I mean, you have had to have heard thousands and thousands of stories, spending six years, you know, of time listening to people coming in. Because I would imagine when someone finds out there's a group. If you have a story and you've been a little bit skittish about sharing it, that might draw you in. You know, you might go, I want to tell these people yeah, what it, I saw. It, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, it became a safe haven for people to share their stories. Um, but likewise, it was also, it, it became a weird, a very accessible thing for people who are not into ghosts to come in and kind of listen as well. Um, we had people that were just fascinated with the histories of, of the bars that would come in and not be interested in the ghosts. And then, like you said, we would have people that were that were like, finally, oh, I have a place where I can tell my story. Yeah. Is there one of those stories that sticks out of all time, all the ghost stories you've ever heard, uh, aside from the stuff we're going to get to in Disneyland here in a minute? Is there anything that sticks out in your mind uh, as just one of the more unbelievable stories you've heard? Um, <laughs> other than the floating fish, um, you know, here's a story. I, um, I don't know how much time we have, but, uh, this, uh, um, so many are coming to my head, but, uh, how about, um, how about this? We'll take that break. Right. We're just two minutes. We'll do it two minutes early. We're going to take a break. Uh, you figure out what that story is. We'll do that. And then everybody, we're going to jump into, Haunted Disneyland, and we're going to start to talk about um, how that happened and, and your connection to Disneyland. So we will be right back. You are listening to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. Spirits and More Radio exclusive. We're here with Kate Tumanova from the just-released film American Exorcism. Kate, tell us, how did you prepare for your role of being possessed by a demon? Hi, yes. Well, it was a lot of fun, and preparing took a lot of uh, research. I did my research on previous exorcism films. I did watch a lot of documentaries, and in every scene that I have in film, uh, whenever I'm possessed, I have another actor with me. So we did rehearse together, and it was kind of a teamwork to get in that state and uh, figure out new crazy things that we can do together to make it look real. 
I see. And uh, have you had any paranormal experiences yourself? My God, you'd be surprised. Um, I'm a pretty skeptical person myself, but shooting that movie was was a lot of fun, but we did encounter some crazy stuff. And it was pretty creepy, but it's a creepy, scary film. So um, right now, thinking about it, it was just, it is just fun stories, but things were going missing from set. We had problems with the power. There was just um, just some energy with us on set that you kind of can can't ignore. So I believe in that stuff. Wow. So tell me, what do you think horror fans are going to enjoy most about this film? I think you'd be um, surprised because it's not your typical exorcism film because our director and writer, Trip Weathers, had a very strong vision on how he wants to have different storylines and different layers to the film. And so you get to see the teenager played by me how she feels like the world is against her. We get to see her relationship with her father. We get to see her relationship with her boyfriend. So there's love, there's comedy, there's all kinds of different things. So I'm hoping that everyone in the audience will find something for themselves to watch and find interesting in that film. Great. And what, what scene did you do that you feel most proud of? I am very proud of every stunt and fight scene that we did because, boy, it wasn't easy. It was cold. It was freezing. It took a lot of rehearsal. And um, the stunt team that was helping us, the actors who came, always prepared. And um, that just, um, if you're asking how proud I am, that's what I'm proud of because it physically takes so much, um, you know, just acting aside. It takes so much uh, preparation and rehearsals and we pulled through and we did it and it looks amazing and I think uh, I think it looks really good so the fight scenes the action scenes that we shot were fun to shoot but also so hard so I'm glad we did it I'm very proud of, them, of those yeah and I think uh, everyone who sees this film is really going to enjoy the scene where you're in the bedroom and your inner demon really comes out. I think that was a highlight of the film for me. Um, so and you're from Moscow. Uh, in this film, we're going to hear you with an American accent. Is that right? Yes, I play an all-American character. The scene you're talking about, just to go back to that real quick, was shot over two days. but yeah, it's definitely a great scene. Yes, I'm originally from Russia, Moscow, and uh, for that film, they um, needed an American character, so I do an American accent, and I, I think I do a pretty good job, but that's up to you guys to judge, but uh, in that film, I play an American character, Caroline. I see. Great. And where can our listeners see the movie? So, it is released. Now, it was released last week on iTunes and Amazon. You can rent it or purchase it. So digitally, it's released online. You can find it. And um, if you want to wait till August, it will be in all of the red boxes in U.S. and Canada, plus the Walmart DVDs. So, um, yeah, it's available. Great. Thank you, Kate, for being with us. So check out American Exorcism and tweet your thoughts to us at Scary Horror News on Twitter. Remember, if you have any experiences that are paranormal or with a demon, please call into our Paranormal Story hotline at 8722-GHOSTS. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. I want you to say. And you're listening to Spirits and More Radio, and we're talking with uh, Richard Carradine today, uh, who has had uh, years and years and years of, of hunting down ghost stories and uh, talking to people and exploring uh, the history of buildings around Los Angeles area uh, and some other places. You were Richard, you were telling us about that. One more time for the audience. What was the name of the place where the lady was doing the shows in the desert? Uh, it's the Armagosa Opera House. Okay, because that's totally creepy that sounds like a horror movie <laughs> i can't yeah, imagine was, uh being you know stumbling across that if you were traveling alone and she invited you in and you see these faces painted on the wall and she does a show for you 
I get, and it's beautiful. I mean, as, as folk art, it's beautiful, the theater. And the, and the sad irony is that she was a classically trained New York ballerina and did this for years to an empty house. And by the time people discovered her, she was an old lady and could, couldn't move as well. So there's this weird, sad irony that like once she got audiences, she really couldn't dance anymore. She did these kind of, you know, um, slow moving uh, shows that were uh, just pale reflections of the shows that she once gave to the empty theater. Wow. And you now before the break, you were thinking of uh, something that stood out and I sort of challenged you and you had revealed the floating fish and the half animals and uh, definitely those are, those are, I can see how those could be your, uh, your most interesting stories. But uh, how about creepy stories? You know, maybe something real scary, just something right, that. So one, one night um, we had a group of people who worked at the, and I hope we can mention this, but worked at the Ripley's, believe it or not auditorium on Hollywood Boulevard, which is right on the corner of Hollywood and Highland. And they were talking about their experiences in that building, which is a very old building. And it dates back, obviously, way before Ripley's moved in. And it was a bank at one point um, and has that very sort of bank architecture on the outside. But um, they were saying that uh, there's this thing called uh, rain duty when you work there, which is something that nobody wants to do. And that is that I guess there are leaks in the roof. So whenever it rains, um, somebody gets tapped to do rain duty, which means that they have to man the buckets, that they have to stay after the shift and basically stay in the building all night and put out buckets when leaks form. Um, Obviously a miserable job, but they said the reason that they hated doing that was because when you're there late at night, that's when the little girl comes out. And they explained that apparently back in the days when it was a bank, there was a robbery um, that went wrong and, the, and there was gunfire and a lot of people died. Um, and the story goes or the legend goes that a little girl had excused herself to go to the restroom just as the robbery unfolded and the gunfire unfolded. And she hid in the bathroom during the whole incident. And... As the robbers were leaving, they ran past the bathroom and they heard her crying and went into her into the bathroom, into the stall and killed her in the stall. And they say that now, late at night, she comes out um, and and starts wandering the building looking for her mother. So, yeah, a very creepy, spooky thing to encounter late at night when you're manning buckets. Yeah. And that, that particular story um, is tied to something tragic that happened. And as I've talked to different people about, you know, ghost stories and so forth, uh, it turns out sometimes there is a tragic connection, sometimes there isn't. And uh, I don't know if you've found that to be the case, too, that a lot of times there's no explanation for someone seeing a, a ghost or a spirit. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, yeah, you can have great tragedy. You could have a great happiness. Like it's a, it's a high point of somebody's life and they're, I guess, in spirit form revisiting it. Um, or you can have no explanation at all, or it could just be routine. It's, you know, uh, a bank teller used to go to that bank every day for 40 years before he retired. And now his ghost shows up at that spot and, you know, after he's passed away. Um, you know, so there's no emotion attached to it. It's just kind of a routine thing that the guy did in life and now his spirit does in death. So, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any like real explanation, at least we've, that we've found thus far as to why certain places are haunted. Right, right. So, um, and, and over time, uh, you eventually started to hear stories at Disneyland. Is that what happened? Well, yeah, now, um, yeah, we, we, I should also, to give a little background, explain that my father was an Imagineer for the Walt Disney Company for close to 30 years. Um, and my mother, uh, before that, was a Snow White for uh, the, the 1964 World's Fair. Um, so we were kind of a Disney family. And my father, working for the company, uh, we went to Disneyland all the time. Um, all the time. And just about most weekends... If we were driving by, we would stop in and have lunch at Disneyland because, you know, we could get in for free, basically. So we would just go all the time. 
So you, you got to imagine that I have these two fascinations, Disneyland, and I have this fascination with ghosts. So yeah, it was only a matter of time that I kind of combined the two and started asking cast members, uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. And what now, what, uh, what projects did your father work on? If you can say as an Imagineer, um, he, he, he worked on, <laughs> I think pretty much everything. Uh, let's see. He did the new fantasy land specifically. He designed the, uh, new toad, the Mr. Toad ride, the snow white ride, the, uh, the redo of the, uh, 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 Dumbo ride. Um, he did, he worked at the, di- for master planning, the Disney MGM studios, um, Typhoon Lagoon, uh, Pleasure Island, uh, the, uh, all the European and Asian parks. He had a big hand in, he, he worked on the early stages of the animal kingdom park. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he pretty much uh, worked, uh, did a lot of the master planning for attractions and parks, uh, you know, at the very beginning stages, and then they were handed off to other people to kind of execute. I see. So, so around that time, he would, now, was he there when the Haunted Mansion was actually being put into, or being commissioned? No, no, no. He joined in the, like, uh, what would it be, early 80s? Okay. So it was it was around that time that they were they were building Epcot. Okay, I see. And for people who don't know, the Haunted Mansion because when we talk about Ghosts of Disneyland, a lot of people think we're going to be talking about the Haunted Mansion. So, let's talk about the Haunted Mansion a little bit. So, t- <laughs> tell us tell us uh can you give us a little history? I know that the it originally was supposed to open in in 59 or 60 and and they built the house well, and you know um, su- supposedly Disney had always wanted to have a haunted mansion in this park, even before Disneyland was built, you know, cause it is one of those sort of main staples of amusement parks across the country. Just about every amusement park has some version of a spook house, dark ride, a, a tunnel of love or that kind of a thing. So it, it is said that, that he, even when he first came up with the idea of Disneyland, he wanted a train, he wanted a castle, and he wanted like a ghost, uh, some sort of ghost house in, in his. And there are, you, you can find there are early concept art of, of the idea of a haunted house being on Main Street uh, when he was originally kind of figuring out what Disneyland was going to be. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it was always put on the back burner. He never was quite happy with what they were coming up with and so he never quite built it at one point it was supposed to be where um i believe they at one point they were toying around with the idea of putting it where like small world is now like at the far end um and he even um there was a there was a, another amusement park that he was toying with after disneyland that he was thinking about putting a, a haunted mansion there and um so yeah he always kind of had it in the in the back burner but it never quite surfaced at one point it was going to be a museum of the weird where people would take guided tours and they would show different weird haunted artifacts or cursed items to the public um yeah it really wasn't until the 64 world's fair when they figured out the omnimover system of shuttling people in and out of attractions quickly that they revisited the idea with that uh, sort of concept in mind of people boarding a vehicle and going through a haunted house. And uh, yeah, and even, even, um, in, it, a lot of people know this, but they even built the house long before the attraction was built so that the house was actually there where it is today, many years before they even opened the ride. It was just kind of this weird house on the corner of new Orleans square that had no explanation. So so there was, and I had heard that, uh, yeah, that that they had built the house, but they didn't know exactly what was going to be inside. Right. So, yeah, it has this sort of long tortured history with Disneyland before it became the sort of iconic ride that we know today. Perhaps the best dark ride that's ever been built. Right. Um, and speaking of that, you know, we're going to take a break right now. We're at the, at the quarter hour mark and, uh, we'll be right back. I think you guys are going to like this cause, cause our little break here talks a little bit about the haunted mansion. And now your two minute and 50 second horror update. <laughs> so cheesy. 
Today's horror update is made possible by SparkleGenieProducts.com. And in the news, last week, ScaryHorrorNews.com did a Twitter poll asking, What is the difference between the Haunted Mansion stretch room at Disney World versus Disneyland? 64% of our Twitter horror fans did not know. Wow, you guys. So here's a scoop. Well... First, the stretch room is the first room you encounter on your tour, the one with the paintings that grow into morbid scenes. Maybe this will help. Our tour begins here in this gallery, where you see paintings of some of our guests as they appeared in their corruptible, mortal state. Your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura of foreboding, almost as though you sense a disquieting metamorphosis. Is this haunted room actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? Hmm? Well, the difference which is fully explained with illustrations on scaryhorrornews.com is that Disneyland is an elevator that lowers you down a level, whereas the stretch room in Florida is not. Your feet are firmly on the ground as only the ceiling rises. Find out why they did this on our website. Hey, what do demons have for breakfast? Deviled eggs. Mmm, my favorite. That's all because this is only 2 minutes and 50 seconds of horror, not 3. If you want more, go to spiritsandmoreradio.com for our one-hour show. Got a podcast app? Subscribe. Go to our Scary Horror News YouTube playlist. With Richard Carradine, you're listening to Spirits and More Radio, and we're talking about the ghost at Disneyland. So, um, the Haunted Mansion, uh, you eventually started to hear stories about that, and we're not talking about the mechanical ghosts, we're talking about uh, actual ghosts, is that right? (laughs) Actual ghosts. uh, um, Yeah, the most famous one, the one that most people know, and the one you hear most often is of a little boy that's seen in the ride. Um, especially in the, uh, uh, the end of the ride, when you exit your vehicle, there's that little area where you step off, um, onto the moving sidewalk before you go up the corridor, uh, that has the, the little bride character. Um, the people that work there will see a little boy, um, in that area specifically to the, what would be to the, uh, left of them as they're facing the people stepping off sort of on the wrong side of the Omnimovers, the Doom Buggies, um, where he shouldn't be. And so they will, you know, move from their position to call to the boy to come out of there. You know, you're not supposed to be over there. Um, And then they'll realize that there's nobody there. And um, there's been a lot of legends surrounding him into why he haunts it. Um, And they say that uh, he was in life a boy who loved that ride and when he passed away tragically as a, as a child, the family had him cremated and supposedly went on the ride and scattered the ashes uh, throughout the ride secretly in the dark. And that's why he is said to haunt the attraction. Uh, I've, heard that's you know, a, I've heard that's an issue that they have there, people spreading ashes yeah, around Disneyland. Clearly, there's, within that ride, there's fake dust to give the spooky atmosphere. So it's kind of, you know, it'd be very easy to slip uh, ashes in with the fake dust. Um, But yeah, it is, it is a very big issue for many years. It was thought to just be an urban legend that people would do that in that attraction and in Disneyland in general. Um, But yeah, I've talked to several security guards and it is a very serious issue that, uh, that they have to deal with. And especially in rides that have water in them, like pirates, um, or small world or so because they will catch uh guests dumping ashes into the water while they're on the boats going through the attraction and needless to say that uh um when this is caught they shut down the attraction they drain the water they clear it um i know that uh um in um in haunted mansion specifically they have special vacuums 
uh, and, and, you know, and all sorts of equipment so that they can shut the ride down immediately if it occurs and suck up all the, uh, sort of, uh, Ashley, Ashley remnants, uh, remains that are, have been scattered. So you're saying that, that you specifically have heard from, from someone that works there, that they have set aside vacuums specifically for that yeah. purpose. And they shut down the ride and they said, it's very, you know, then they feel bad because it's, you know, you're there. They're vacuuming up someone's human remains and that, you know, um, which are ultimately going to end up in the trash. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's obviously advised if you're thinking of doing that to not do it, not only for the health hazards, but because ultimately that loved one is going to end up in the trash because they now have procedures set in place that the moment they catch it and, and keep in mind, I'm sure everybody realizes this, that pretty much every square inch of Disneyland has cameras and surveillance. Right. So it's very hard to sneak something past um, security at this point. Right. So, uh, um, so the haunted mansion itself. Um, now one of the challenges you, you wrote a book that we didn't, we didn't say what the book was. It's in the park after dark. Is that right? Or park? after it's dark? Called, well, <laughs> it, it was originally called Disneyland after dark. Um, and, uh, that only lasted one month uh, before I got a, a letter explaining that I couldn't use that title. Um, and so I changed the name of the, to The Park After Dark. But yeah, the book's called The Park After Dark, uh, the sort of unauthorized guide to uh, the happiest haunted place on Earth. I see. And I, I did pick up a copy of your book. And one of the things that you talked about in there was this challenge of deciphering between ghost you know actual ghost sightings and and people seeing cast members dressed up because of the uh fact that disneyland has guys that are you know cowboys and period costume people walking yeah. around yeah a anywhere else in the world if you saw a ghost a cowboy ghost you would know it's a ghost of a cowboy uh you know that the ghost dates back to the 1800s but clearly in a park where people are wearing costumes as they're daily uniforms it's kind of harder to decipher these things if you see a cowboy ghost uh, as an example it could be a pioneer that lived in anaheim in the 1800s or it could be a guy that you know worked in Frontierland in the 1960s it's kind of hard to decipher and um uh, if i can tell a quick story there, there's a, a sort of well-known ghost among cast members of a woman dressed in a Victorian uh, outfit, outfit that's seen most commonly around the Main Street area, but she has been seen all over the park. And there's a lot of speculation about her, whether or not she is a cast member or if she predates the park and is, you know, uh, bound to one of the many farms that uh, were, were there before the park was built. Perhaps originally, uh, the you know the wife of a landowner that lived in one of these old farmhouses that still haunts the the area. Right, and for and, those that um, for those that don't know don't <clears throat> know the Disney um, land history, um, that was Orange Groves beforehand, and uh, there's lots of photos you can see uh, as they sort of bulldozed all that down to make room for the park. Uh, was there a specific house of an owner on in the actual Disneyland proper? park space was there any dwelling that people lived in that we know of um there are actually a couple of homes uh, on the site of what is today disneyland and I'm, I'm just counting disneyland because obviously the company owns a lot more property today with disney's california and the hotel and stuff but even within the boundary of the park there were a couple of farmhouses that uh, were there that were ultimately demolished um, to build disneyland of different farms and different families and one f house that I talk about in the book um, actually uh, was uh, survived because it was part of the deal that the farm owner made with Disney when he purchased the land was that the condition of the sale of the property was that they couldn't tear down the house because the house had sentimental value to the farmer. And they did so in the, and you can see it in old photographs of Disneyland, aer aerial shots. There was an old house, farmhouse that remained on the property of Disneyland after it opened for many years. Um, ironically, um, it, it was located roughly where the Haunted Mansion is today. It was in that area. And um, before they even built the park, they used it as offices 
for construction, and then they used it for offices for hiring staff uh, for the park. Um, and then it became uh, offices when the park was built. And ultimately, as they developed that end of the of of uh, you know uh, what was Adventureland, and then became uh, New Orleans Square, it was moved uh, to an area backstage uh, where the uh, primeval world is today, where the dinosaurs are, and then it was eventually torn down. So there is some history directly where the haunted mansion stands. Yeah, I see, and it's interesting. Even if you look at old photo, like like you you mentioned that you can go online and you can find um, pictures of when it was orange groves, uh, you can even see because a lot of them survived that it, the farms would use uh, eucalyptus trees to divide the properties. So when you look at the old pictures, there are these lines of eucalyptus trees that marked where one farm ended and one farm start, and because they were full growth trees, they uh, in a lot of cases they kept them when they built the park and you can still see in aerial shots of disneyland those same eucalyptus trees there's there's one line that goes along um uh, parallel to main street on the edge of adventureland that is still there it's just a line of eucalyptus trees along the jungle cruise and also where the uh, uh, small world is you can see there's this line of eucalyptus trees that again before the park was built marked the boundaries of the farms that were there that's interesting I, i've never noticed those trees i'm going to take a close look next time yeah. i'm there so um so so the victorian lady she's seen all all throughout the park and that what um when do the stories begin i guess what's the oldest story of seeing her um wow that's a good question like when did they i mean i started in the early eighties started asking questions. So these go back to at least the eighties, but yeah, I don't know pre that exactly when, um, when, how long people have been seeing ghosts at, at, at Disneyland. Yeah, that'd be interesting. There's, you know, there's been so many cast members that have worked at Disneyland. There's, you know, thousands and thousands of people out there. If somebody's listening to this show who happened to work at Disneyland, uh, pre 1980s, uh, and has a ghost story, um, reach out to us because it's a, an interesting thing. If you've seen uh, ghosts prior to Richard's uh, investigations into this whole thing. And Richard, you don't investigate with like meters and things like that. You're, you are more no, about... No, it's, it's purely eyewitness accounts. Right. I, I interview people and then I do research uh, to sort of uh, into their stories. I see. So um, now I think one of the biggest questions I have about Disneyland, uh, which uh, I'll save that for a few, few, few more minutes. Tell, tell us about uh, the, the boy inside Haunted Mansion. Is he the only ghost in there? Um, no. We, we <laughs> oh, and actually, no, this actually, now that you, you, you've actually reminded me of a ghost story that predates. Um, um, there is a story because in addition, uh, my father was an Imagineer. And so not only would I talk to cast members, but I would also talk to Imagineers about this subject. And there is a story that uh, when they were building um, the Haunted Mansion, I mean, there, there are, to, to quickly answer your question, there are many ghost stories uh, about the Haunted Mansion. People see a teenage boy. Um, there's an elderly man that's been seen. Um, there's all sorts of stories of people feeling hands touching them when they're on the attraction um, to various other things. But there is a story that when they were building the attraction um, in the area where uh, what is what is uh, the seance room with the, you know, uh, Madame Leota's head in the in the crystal ball, that when they were constructing that room, one of the workers could hear voices coming from uh, uh, sort of phantom voices that he thought was coming from inside one of the walls. And he spent a good part of a day poking holes in the walls, trying to find where it was coming from. He assumed that somebody had dropped a radio into one of the walls when they were constructing it. And that was making these voices, but he could not locate where, um, you know, he couldn't locate a source to the voices that were seemed to be coming from an unknown source within this wall. Um, and ultimately, because obviously they're not going to tear down the building to look for this voices, the story goes that they just placed one of these show speakers in front of that wall to drown out the voices that they were hearing coming from that wall. 
So that's a story that goes back to the, what, the early 60s. Right. Uh, on a mansion. Yeah. And there's, um, and the other thing is there have been quite a few deaths at Disneyland. So um, I think we'll get into that right after we take a break. Uh, and also, I want to ask you about Walt Disney himself, because uh, clearly he loved that park. And, and uh, after he passed away, I would imagine that uh, if, if you could come back, if he could come back, he probably would come back. So we'll get back to that in a minute. We're with Richard Carradine. We're talking about the ghosts at Disneyland. And uh, stay with us. And we are at the one hour mark. This fascinating interview does continue for our full access overtime members. To get full access, simply go to our website at spiritsandmoreradio.com. Under the full access section, you'll see an orange Patreon button. Click on that to find out more and hear the rest of the show. You can also join our live broadcast alert list. We email the day of the show when we are going to broadcast live so you can tune in and hear the full show and also have the opportunity to call in. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.